I know it may seem petty in light of today, but I just can't stop thinking about it. Keep turning it over in my mind. Frazier. Now, my homie says iconic and shit, even when the record 37 primetime Emmys or whatever. So I started watching. Now I'm cool with suspending my disbelief a little. But this? Am I really supposed to believe a bald and white dude from Seattle gets to smash that much? And it's not like he was slaying hood rats neither. This nigga get more butt than ashtrays. Turn me off from the fucking situation comedies altogether. Had to cleanse the palate, and I know I only got one Emmy nomination, but I'll tell you. You want to see a believable protagonist doing extraordinary shit? Don't sleep on Night Rider, y'all. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name. Maybe I should give you a name. What I'm about to tell you is top secret. The Coffee Clash Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, Mr. Robot Episode Review. I'm Jason. I'm Christina. And today we are reviewing Episode 3.6, Frederick and Tanya. Mr. Robot wants answers, the FBI closes in, and Angela hits the rewind button. A lot. <laughs> IMDb gave this a 9.4. I have very mixed feelings on this episode, which I'm sure we will talk about as we get into it. It was very dark and depressing, which alone does not make it a bad episode. I think that's specifically what Esmail was shooting for, but it leaves you with this very heavy feeling coming out of it. And it was such a different note for the past two episodes that I really loved, despite some critics not agreeing with that. I thought 3.4 and 3.5 were spectacular TV, and this felt like it spun a lot of that on its head. So I'm still not quite sure how to take it. I'm in the same boat as you. While watching the show, I felt like the beats were different. I felt like the score was even different. And the way Esmail cut from scenes felt a little wonky at times. Normally, it, it feels very smooth mm-hmm. the way he did it. But that might have been on purpose because this was a very disjointed episode. The last three episodes, and a lot of people wrote about this, seemed like its own storyline. They kind of fit within each other. And they were all pretty dark. The last three episodes, to me, showed Elliot and his crew losing. From the one-shot episode, him losing control, to last week's quick-shot episode, with quick breaks, to this one, it was just, it was over. Basically, F-Society is officially done, even though we felt like it was done the end of last season. Almost everyone is dead, and now all we have for hope is what Trenton left as an auto-email. And we don't know to who or what that email was about. Or if it does contain the magical answers to, in fact, hit the rewind button and reverse that hack, which we're suspecting it does. But yeah, that leaves us in such a dark place. And while I do appreciate that Esmail is trying to, to some extent, mimic a reality, and thus this follows true to that, when you're watching television, you also want to be able to root for your protagonist. You want to see some hope that they can overcome and accomplish what they set out to do, where this just leaves you feeling very depressed. Where do we go from here? And I think that the AV Club wrote a beautiful article about this episode, part of which sums it up so well in my mind. 
They said Frederick and Tanya examines each of our protagonists in turn, shows them the situation, and makes them regret their role in the world, following all the choices that led them to this dark place. It's the dimmest episode yet of the season and ends on arguably the most pessimistic prediction of any installment, with Dom saying, you're actually going to get away with this. And that really was the key thing. The only one who, in fact, has any power is White Rose. Yeah, White Rose is the only one with power. And in this episode, all hope, at least to myself, for White Rose having some bigger storyline that might be for the betterment of the people are gone now. What Angela has been talking about no longer carries any weight. I think she's just quacked out. (laughs) She's no longer there. She makes Darlene look like a really normal person. We were kind of getting to that point last episode when I said, I feel like Angela's cracking up. And is this going to turn out to be all a result of her psychological trauma that she wanted to believe in this opportunity, this other place that people would go or a way to reset And did White Rose just push the right buttons for her to join the cause? And it seems like that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I didn't want to believe you last week. I thought you were just being pessimistic. (laughs) There's got to be something bigger. There's got to be something that we're not seeing. But at this point, Angela's rewinding time seems like just some dreamscape that White Rose used as a Hail Mary because Price didn't follow through on getting rid of her. And we were also holding on to the end of last season when Trenton said, I have a way to turn it back. I'm really just thinking she has a way of turning back the hack. The hack, right. The, the lost. Encrypting the digitized information. Yeah, the lost information, not making uh, buildings that have fallen fully erect again with the people inside alive. Yeah, and it also, as you're kind of alluding to, dismisses any more far afield sci-fi theories we had been getting into, and a lot of people are talking about that. We will speak more of it later. There are some elements still that are hard to explain, some things that Esmail put into a lot of the episodes, but a big number of the major moments we were pointing to as evidence that something more fantastical was happening seem to have been put down this episode. And that too is another thing that depresses me because even that was something that gave us a little bit more hope because yes, maybe White Rose was onto something bigger. Maybe the reason she had to make greater sacrifices and take some people out was because there was something better to come. She could reverse things or there was a parallel universe and uh, taking that away is stripping down another layer that we had to cling to, I think. So it was hard for me to get excited about anything this episode, but I know a lot of people disagreed. The critics thought this was very well handled. Some of our listeners wrote in to say the same, including Metal Monkey, who said, I'm really appreciating this show as a whole more and more each week. The constant dipping back to recontextualize an earlier scene from an earlier season is so great. It makes rewatching more of a joy when your headspace is in line with the show rather than always trying to solve the mystery, which is what we did the first time around. But then, of course, there are some people who are getting rather frustrated, like Richard, who says this is the last episode of Mr. Robot he will ever watch. Yeah, and he was already on the brink of no longer watching the show, so I think this just put the nail in the coffin for him. Yeah, for a lot of people, they had difficulty with season two. We had kind of expressed this in our coverage. It was a different kind of show. Some people liked it, some people really did not, and... They stuck with it because they saw glimmers of the things they liked in season one, maybe on the horizon. And I think that's what Sam Esmail delivered in the first half of season three, a return to form, getting back to the big plot line while still incorporating all this really interesting character and psychological stuff. 
But then for the past two episodes, it seems like we're taking another left turn. And so for people who are just kind of hanging in there through season two, I'm a little worried that this is going to give them the bump. For myself, I'm just waiting to see the direction we go in 3.7. I think that's going to kind of dictate for me how to feel about it moving forward. But let's slow it down for a minute and talk about our stats. We have the origin of the title, Frederick and Tanya, which of course refers to the aliases adopted by Mobley and Trenton in the season two finale. And they will obviously play a big part in this episode. I guess big. They kind of bookend it. So we open up the first scene with them and then we close it out. And another article said this is appropriate because their arc is the one on a micro level that defines the season. Their misunderstanding of the role they have within the revolution, and we see a lot of that going on in F society, is representative of everyone, I guess, besides people like White Rose and Price that are wrapped up in this story. And then we have the extension .chk, which is multiple use files. It indicates a file extension associated with Windows file fragments. They're fragments that have been cleaned from the hard drive, deleted, or stored in different locations. The scan disk and check disk applications are run by Windows operating system to find errors that may be located on the hard drive. They're then written out as CHK files. Oftentimes, these files can be removed as the information contained within them is also stored somewhere else. So is Mobley and Trenton the files that are being removed? Absolutely. They have served the purpose for the Dark Army that they needed. And when it comes to F Society, it does seem like that email Trent has scheduled to send out will contain the useful information they actually need to reverse things. And for music notes, we have a few. Moment of Truth by Gangster, which plays as Leon gets Trenton Mobley to dig in the desert. In the Mood by Robert Plant. And that's when Robot confronts Irving in the body shop. And of course, the Knight Rider theme song. (laughs) This has been stuck in my head ever since. I am sure everyone is probably saying the same. I really like that soft opening. We had Leon back. We had Trenton and Mobley back. We had Leon true to form. Obviously, Sam Esmail knew one of our favorite parts about Leon, and that's when he's talking about his 90s sitcom shows. So he's right at it again. He's moved on from Seinfeld, and he's watching Frasier, which he didn't really like in the end. And he... Nope, he says it's unbelievable. Although it only has one award... He really likes Knight Rider. He says it's underrated. It doesn't get enough respect for the foreshadowing of man's reliance on technology. And how fitting is that? Well, on that note, let's jump into our synopsis because we do open the episode in Arizona where Leon has been sent to babysit Trent and Mobley. The roommate lies dead on the floor while the two of them shake with fear, sitting on either side of Leon as he goes on and on about Frasier. I have to say, right off the bat, from this quick opening scene, I completely did an about face in my feelings on Leon. I'm the opposite. There's often characters in shows that are inevitably bad. They're bad guys. But there's something about their personalities that me as a viewer still likes them. We see the dead roommate who, of course, is not even part of F Society. He's just a roommate. We're reminded there that Leon is a bad guy. Innocent bystander. But then they have Leon go right into his synopsis of these TV shows. And I just love his personality so much. And maybe it's just that I love having him on screen. He's a perfect mixture of cool, badass, mysterious, and gangster. That I really appreciate (laughs) him being on screen. Even throughout all of this, the little things that show his humanity carries more weight with me. 
and I know a lot of people probably don't agree with this, but the fact that he likes Trenton and Mobley and he doesn't really want anything to go wrong with them, even when they try to escape, he just has a quip. That's not a way to treat a Cadillac. <laughs> the fact that he doesn't kill them makes me like him even more. And yes, he is cold. He has a job to do. He's like, I'm just, I was just a babysitter. I'm going to hand it off to you, to these scary people in masks. But I like you guys and hopefully they treat you well. I hear what you're saying, and I actually do think a lot of people probably agree with you. He has the charisma, and he plays this character so well. And yes, we do like to see him on screen because he's funny, he's interesting, he talks about 90s sitcom shows. But I think I always assumed there was an inherent protector role about Leon. He was violent against bad people when he needed to be. I didn't know He was such a pawn, just another agent of the Dark Army. Everyone is in their pocket. And so this episode, we see not only is he willing to kill innocent people who probably did nothing wrong at Mm. all, this roommate, but I'm sure that he knows on some level what's going to happen to Trenton Mobley. And if the Dark Army turned around and told him, now it's time you have to kill them, I don't think he would have had any hesitation doing that either because it's what he's supposed to do. He might have felt bad about it because he did like them, but he would have done it. So he's good at his job. I mean, that's another good quality. (laughs) (laughs) But you could say the same for Irving. I read another article that talked about how there seems to be two kinds of people in this story. Ones that even if they're caught up in bad things are still human. They have remorse and guilt for what they've gone through. Even Mr. Robot feels bad this episode because things went awry. He did not intend to blow up 71 buildings and they went rogue on his mission and he feels the need to convince Krista of all this. I mean, only recently he wouldn't even talk to her about any of the particulars going on, but he continues with this speech because he wants her to believe him. People like Angela, who are completely torn apart that I think we're seeing a totally fractured psyche for her, she truly thought nobody was going to get hurt in this endeavor. Then you have people like the elite that are partying up on the rooftop, who Irving later brings Robot to see. It doesn't matter if somebody dies within their mist. It doesn't matter if they get the news report that there's been a terrorist attack. They continue along. This is what they do. They don't have remorse or guilt for their actions. But there really are some people caught in the middle of that spectrum, right? The Leons, the Irvings, who don't really have the power. They are subservient to this mission. They don't necessarily feel guilt either. It's like they've had to sell their soul and justify it as, yes, this is just their job and there's nothing they can do about it because this is the way the world works. And I think I almost have more contempt for them than any other category. And I I don't know why that is the reality. What else can they do about it? But That just feels so utterly hopeless. Somebody that's completely lost. Yeah, but did you see how cool he looked sitting on that Cadillac? (laughs) I mean, he looked cool sitting there. With the Knight Rider theme song. Well, so it turns out they obviously think he's going to kill them, but he doesn't. He drives them out to the middle of the desert to dig a grave for the roommate. At this point, Mobley wonders if the Dark Army is there because of the letter, but Trent says she never sent the email to the FBI. Instead, she rigged it to send automatically to someone she trusts if they don't come back. While he's freaking out, Trent slips her bonds and takes the car and smashes it into the one rock. Yeah. In the middle of the desert. A few things to say about this scene. One, the fact that they were alone in the car, that was Sam Asmel's way of catching us up on what they've been up to. Mm. Kind of reacclimating us to what the hell have they been up to? 
and explaining. Really, Mobley has been trying to move on. He had a date. He had a J date mm-hmm. that he was late to. But Trenton still was fixating on it. And they did allude to that in last season. But yes, they dropped that little seed of hope for us. What was in that email? Someone she trusts. Who is that person? Who is she going to email it to? I really wonder. And I think this might be the seed that brings us from our heroes losing to hopefully our heroes winning in the end. But then again, as I say that, I don't know if this is the type of show where the good guys win. As I say that, Elliot's not really a good guy, is he? (laughs) Well, he is the most good as far as his ideals when he's hoping to accomplish in this whole thing from any of the power players we've seen. He, of course, has the Mr. Robot side that is less ethically, morally sound. But as we found out with this attack, there are certain things Mr. Robot is not okay with either. And I I think we believed after the end of last episode, we would see more of them trying to work together. They were able to do so to stop that building from exploding. And this diversion from the plan grates against Mr. Robot as much as it does Elliot. So I was a little surprised to see in the next scene that they're still so separated and can't communicate even with Krista, who should be sort of a safe person they can talk to. And I'm wondering what's going to be the impetus, that thing that finally forces them to come together against what Robot already knows is their bigger enemy, these power players, the ones they were trying to take down in the first place. I'm hoping that that email does come to them and it is a way they can fight back against the Dark Army. They need something on their side. Otherwise, how do they go up against an operation like this? Okay, Trenton has never driven a car before, (laughs) but you're in an open field. (laughs) Listen, when I was learning to drive, we went to an elementary school's parking lot to give me space. And I was doing pretty well, I think. This was a huge desert and she still managed to find that one rock. Go ask my sister about the time she was learning to ride a quad in an open field and crashed into the one bench (laughs) in the middle of the field. Apparently, this is a thing. Uh, She was nervous, I guess. She just slammed her foot on the accelerator. She was panicked. Wasn't paying attention. I guess. I don't know. So what would have happened if they did get away? Leon seemed pretty chill about it. I I guess they're being watched. Yeah, they would have been. Yeah, and Leon was so high. I mean, he... (laughs) He was stoned that whole time. He doesn't let much get to him. No. It's kind of like Irving. So we were speaking a little about our next scene, which starts just after the attacks with Elliot watching the news on TV and in a breakdown goes to Krista's apartment. He's trying to tell her what happened, but he can't. I don't know if I can say it, he keeps repeating. It sounds like it's shorting out. The words are garbled. What, what, what we both may have done. I don't know if I can say it. I'm sorry. Nice to see you again, beautiful. Yet again, he's standing in front of the bookshelf that has all of the red books as the lights start to flicker and Mr. Robot takes over. Question, as a therapist, if you're going to have a session with someone, would you be in a room that dark? No. (laughs) (laughs) But I think she is struggling to maintain any semblance of normalcy. 
for therapy because she lost her office. She's now conducting it out of her home. I feel bad for Krista. I can't believe she continues to see him like this and try to advance the therapy, especially in wake of what happens at the end of this scene. It gets a little crazy for her. But I was wondering if if we're not getting into the sci-fi territory, we still do have some weird markers for us, like the red bookshelf in the back of Elliot. I don't know if that's just visually a cue now that we're supposed to pick up on that follows through the whole season, or if there's going to be something more to that. And like I said, I was a little surprised that Mr. Robot felt the need to fully take over. He still seems a bit angry with Elliot. Yes, I actually don't think it was him feeling the need. I think Elliot wanted him to. Mm. He was panicking. He couldn't do it. He doesn't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. He actually, to me, requested Mr. Robot to come out. Yeah, he can't live with it. Yeah. But Mr. Robot does say everything that happened today is because he was ignoring our responsibilities. A little harsh. But he does point out that Elliot needs to worry about these people in control. And confesses to Krista about being the architect of the 5-9 hack. Were you surprised that he admitted that to her? I was, especially the way he opened it up. Like, it seemed like he wasn't going to talk to her about it. But I think he needed to get it out. The body needed to get that out. So both personalities were feeling that. Before we move on, I wanted to ask you, when Mr. Robot says everything that happened today is because he was ignoring our responsibilities, is he alluding to the fact that if all of the documents got to that one E-Corp building, that indeed that would still be the only building that would have been taken down? I don't think... He believes that because he is realizing that these string pullers have their own agenda. Now, they don't know that the whole purpose of this was for White Rose to slap Philip Price's hand, so to speak. But she definitely was going to get back at him and E-Corp no matter what happened with those records. But I do think he's coming to the point of it's all out of our control. And that's really going to crescendo once Irving takes him to the party later. But this revolution that Elliot started... He ran away from it at a critical juncture, and Mr. Robot does put some of the responsibility for what's happened on Elliot for that fact. And now perhaps we'll feel it's more important than ever, because instead of taking some of their power back, it's completely been relinquished Mm -hmm. yet again to the 1%. And I think that's going to make Mr. Robot more dedicated to wanting to make that happen. Yeah, I, I believe so as well. Do you think that if they start working together, we'll start seeing them both on the screen? What I mean by that is, in season one, remember when Elliot was in the bathroom and he's watching Mr. Robot speak to Darlene? Mm-hmm. This scene would have been nice if when Mr. Robot was on the couch, Elliot was right next to him, kind of sitting there, maybe Listening. his head down, not able to speak, kind of shamed or freaking out as Mr. Robot was speaking. I think that scene would have had so much more power to it if they were both there. So... When I was thinking that, that's what made me ask you, if they start working together, maybe they'll both be on screen together. Well, we had seen situations where Elliot was still the dominant and he was the one interacting with the world, but Mr. Robot was sort of behind his shoulder, telling him things, pulling strings. And we'd wondered if we would see a reversal this season, if Elliot failed to take back some of the personal power, if Mr. Robot would now be the one presenting to the world and Elliot would be behind his shoulder whispering things in his ear Mm. just to change in who's at the driver's seat. And I think that this is foreshadowing more of that to come, especially as you say, if this scene shows us that Elliot can't manage to pull it together enough to even talk about it. Maybe he does need to keep 
asserting that control. I was hoping we would see more of an integration, but I think that's still a ways off, especially with Esmail telling us season three is more about disintegration. Maybe not till seasons four or five will we really see that coming together. But I would love to visually see a little more of the two of them. We talk about how amazing it is anytime Rami Malek and Christian Slater are on screen together. And I really liked this next part where Mr. Robot is telling Krista about it and she doesn't believe him at first. She thinks it's delusions of grandeur. And the way he's explaining it, it does sort of sound like somebody who's a bit paranoid and out of their mind. There's this big them that we're fighting. And he's always talking about something that happened in the past. He hasn't once said, I'm going to do this, and then it happens. And I'm sure in that profession, they get that often, don't they? Yes, of course. I wonder if after 9-11, there was people saying it was me. Anytime there's a major event, tragedy, murder, that inevitably happens. And, you know, Krista doesn't really have that much familiarity with the personality of Mr. Robot at all yet. She's still learning who this guy is and what he's about. For all she knows, this is Elliot's side that just gets carried away with himself and has these really great ideas. But for whatever reason, he does feel the need to explain to her, to make her believe. And once he lays out the facts, I think he brings her over to that, and that's what frightens her so much. I really think he could be involved. So a few scenes later, she calls her lawyer, wanting to report Elliot. I found this a little weird because the lawyer instructs she can't break confidentiality unless he's confessed to a plan for the future. So if you're not aware, most people know the big rule to confidentiality with therapy is you can only break it if that person admits thoughts of harming themselves or others. This is a preventative measure. You would go to the police or whomever to try to stop that from happening. Yeah, FERPA. (laughs) So the fact that he says he might have just been complicit in something that caused a terrorist attack of 71 buildings and 3,000 people, because he's not saying he's going to do anything like that in the future, she can't break confidentiality, I thought that was a little bit of a stretch. Is it? I mean, if you were his therapist, you could report him? I thought you could say anything to a therapist. Unless you think somebody else... else's lives are in danger and that's what i mean he's telling her because this is in the past everything he's admitted to she can't do that which technically is true but you can't tell me there's not a fear this might continue i mean there's news stories later we see an f society video later this is not over yet and i think she has an inkling of that but i guess she needs more solid information before she can act. I didn't pick up on the fact that it was her lawyer. I thought it was another therapist. You know how therapists see other therapists? At first I did too, but I'm pretty sure that because she was asking legal advice on how to handle his case, that it had to be somebody like that. So as we said in the next scene, a new fake F Society video is released, which threatens another major attack within the next 24 hours. And thus Dom and Santiago go to talk to Wellick's lawyer, And he's arguing there's no hard evidence against him. And Tyrell was forced to do this by the terrorists who held his son hostage. He can tell them who they are in exchange for immunity. I don't know about you, Chris, but for me, all these fake videos has decreased the value of F Society and the mask to me. What I mean by that is last season and especially season one, you know, we got the mask. Every time there was an F Society video, it kind of had... It was like, that was what was awesome about this show. Mm. Now that it's all these fake ones, I see it on TV and I, I don't even, it doesn't affect me anymore. It doesn't mean anything to me anymore. 
Yeah, because we know it's not really them. It's not really the revolution, but the people, the general public, don't know any of that. To them, this is all the same. And it's just so sad to see how the dark army and their agents are using it as a way to control the public. Kind of what we've been talking about all along, to influence their opinion, to instill fear. And thus, they're more at the mercy of the government or any ruling body that's going to help protect them. And we're going to find out later, this is a big reason why White Rose decided to go through with these attacks. Chaos, violence, fear, that all serves their purposes. But yeah, we see it's, it's one big setup. Tyrell is having his strings pulled like anyone else. He's going to give up Trent and Mobley as the two people he's IDing to be responsible. He really doesn't have much choice because they're holding his son hostage. In the meeting where Santiago comes in to talk to him, and shuts the video cameras, he crushes him with this news. Tyrell finally learns Joanna is dead. She's been dead for two weeks. Mm. And he blames it on a lover's quarrel, which must hurt him that much more. He doesn't know (laughs) what's the truth and what's not. And now he knows that his son is out somewhere else in a stranger's hands. I feel bad for Tyrell at this point. And I was pretty impressed with the way Santiago handled himself while talking to Tyrell. Very powerful, very persuasive, because we saw that scene right before that with his parents, which I think Esmel tried to give us to bring some kind of humanity to that character. Yeah, is this working for you yet? Because it's still not working for me, these little blips for Santiago. I think his mother is sick, maybe cancer or something, and I think that's the key of what leverage Dark Army has on him. Oh, definitely. It must be. He says he's got, she's got two treatments left. And so that's kind of the indicator. But I, I'm sure they're holding it over his head, I guess. I'm just not connected enough to him to feel for him. And because he knows how difficult that is to have it threaten somebody he loves, his mother, he turns around and does the same thing with Tyrell's mm-hmm. son. Uh, he's at Peaceful Acres Foster Care. And he's going to remain there or worse will happen to him if Tyrell thinks of veering from the plan or telling anyone about him. I looked it up and Peaceful Acres is actually a real foster care. Wow. Or at least a a care center for children, adults, people with developmental disabilities. So I don't know how they got away with that. So if you're Tyrell, what would you do at this point? He really has no choice. It's sacrifice Trent and Mobley who were part of this F Society cause and knew, quote-unquote, what they were getting into in the first place, or his son. Which brings me to one last question. Why is Elliot still alive? Why is Darlene still alive? Why is Angela still alive? Yeah, we have to believe they all still serve some purpose to the Dark Army plan. We could have said, why were Trent and Mobley alive up until this point? And it's a good question. I thought it was because they had plot armor. (laughs) They weren't alive for Dark Army purposes, but for Esmail's purposes, that they knew how to undo the hack and they were safe until they could pass along that information. But turns out, as long as there's another way to get that in the email, we don't need them anymore. And their purpose remaining for the Dark Army was to set them up as fall people. To show F Society really is behind all of this, they're on Iranian soil. Mm-hmm. And this is what White Rose meant by that. Make them appear to be terrorists and blame them for these future attacks that are coming. Yeah. So I think the same holds true for Elliot, for Angela. They have a part to play yet in the Dark Army plan that's not complete. 
and they'll be kept alive until that point, and for no other reason. Yeah, the Dark Army can still pull off some things and just use them as the next fall guy. Yeah, without them, what are they going to do? People might start to catch on that they're behind this. I was really excited when we saw the previews for this episode because I was like, finally, what Christina and myself have been asking since episode one, what happened to Trenton Mobley? When Leon asked for the time, we were like, is he going to befriend them? No, more likely he's going to kill them. And we weren't that far off. Well, you made two very specific predictions a couple episodes ago. You said you thought they were bringing Trenton Mobley back this season just to kill them off, and that you thought Leon would unfortunately be the one to do it. So sad to say you were right about the first one. I was incorrect. The plot armor did not protect them. They were brought back to be killed, but not by Leon, by the Dark Army for the point of staging this whole story, this whole scenario, and we will get more into that. The last part of this scene, after the meeting, we see Dom challenging Santiago for not going after the Dark Army, saying they're being played. But yet again, he shoots her down. She's really visibly now starting to get fed up and not believe anything he's saying anymore. She doesn't say that to him, but we're going to see what she does with that later on. And next, we get what I thought was the most heartbreaking scene of the entire episode. We're at Angela's house. She obsessively flips through the TV broadcasts about the attack, hearing that the death estimate is at 3,000 and climbing. She numbly tells Darlene, they're going to be okay, right? Mm. Oh, boy. And that bleeds into a scene later where she is just continuously hitting the rewind button. She shows Darlene, look. No matter what happens now, everything will be fine. See, they all came back. Yeah, and before this episode, we would have used that as like, oh my God, yeah, maybe it is time travel. But I might eat these words, but I really don't think it is anymore. Asmael is certainly giving you that dialogue in this episode. He's telling you it's not real. She is cracked up. She's, <laughs> she's psychologically unstable to the point that she thinks a rewind button is changing it. But this still confuses me because something is making her think that. Even when you have a breakdown the way she's having and you start to really make these c- crazy assumptions and things that you want to believe in, it generally doesn't come from nowhere. Something White Rose told her is making her think that's real. She can really do that. That's going. There's still more to that story, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And that doesn't mean necessarily that there is time travel. I'm less hopeful for that after this. But I am interested to find out what was fed to her. Why has she gone off on this train of illogic? I'm concerned about her character. What space can she fill now in the show if she's really cracked? If not, maybe her unfolding what was told to her That might be interesting. I would love to see her and Darlene come together, who we really thought were going to be completely at odds now based on what Angela did to Elliot. But if Darlene sees that Angela is completely mentally unstable and perhaps thought she was helping Elliot by Mm -hmm. doing all of this and feels bad for her, they were friends at one point, and Darlene has not another friend in the world, I could see if these two team up, them being pretty powerful, to get something done if Angela can come back to some semblance of normalcy. And I think for the sake of the story, Esmail's going to have to bring her back. I mean, it can't stay like this for the rest of the season. Meanwhile, Mr. Robot has been tracking down Irving at the auto center and confronts him about the Dark Army going rogue on their plan. But before he can get any answers, two DA operatives knock him out. 
When he comes to, he finds Irving has taken him to the city where he can see a fancy rooftop party undeterred by the day's tragedy. That wasn't my fault. That wasn't supposed to happen. I want to know who made that call. Was it Tyrell? What about this other attack? That was never a part of my plan. See, kid, that's been your mistake the entire time. Thinking this whole thing's about your silly little plan. Your revolution is only allowed to happen because it was bought and paid for by people like them. Face it, no matter how hard you try, that's always the end result. What the hell? You're going in? I'm a mistress of a senator we got on the payroll. Powdered her nose with some bad shit. Died a couple hours ago. I'm just here to make a scandal free. You see what I mean? Literally nothing can stop these shindigs. Not thousands dead across the country. Not a lifeless mistress in a guest bathroom. This scene served as a wake-up call to the viewers. And also to Mr. Robot, of course. But the fact that no matter what your plans were, the people backing you were the 1%. You weren't taking them down. And we did allude to that at the beginning of this season when we were discussing that the people that are actually harmed are the everyday people. They're the ones suffering. And we felt like Mr. Robot and Elliot really didn't realize that. Not only that, but early on in this season when we learned how far the Dark Army influence spread and that Irving was there right after the attack was executed to start staging their own plans, already telling Elliot and Mr. Robot what to do, how this was all going to play out. We said, geez, they had no control over this. From the moment they put this plan into motion, it was taken from them. It was no longer their revolution. So there wasn't a ton here, I felt, in this episode that we didn't already kind of know from what Esmail has been laying out for us. And that's maybe why it felt a little more depressing. It was just like the nails being put into the coffin. Yeah, yeah but this scene, Cannavale is the man. I know I always say this. I sound like a broken record. But when he's on screen, the way he delivered this explanation to us, it's my favorite scene. That two-minute scene is my mm. favorite scene this episode. I'm going to respectfully disagree on <laughs> that because... I think the next was my favorite scene and still nothing beats Minister Zhang and Price together, even when the power imbalance is so evident. We get another scene at the Mar-a-Lago Club with Zhang opening up saying, as everyone in this room knows, nothing creates profit quite like global conflict. This is what we were talking about, chaos keeping the one percenters in power and that nothing is better for them than these types of occurrences. They will stage attacks global conflicts to make the people the populace afraid that way they're more willing to hand over their personal freedoms in exchange for security and this is something he knew all along and he'd been planning with price price had agreed yeah this mirrors real life a lot of people thought 9-11 was state so that the american people would back the government into going to war and they're safe for oil Mm -hmm. right so that does have the weight of real life circumstances this was a good scene chris but My issue with it, and I know you're not done explaining it, but my issue with it is that I don't like either of them. So the fact that Minister Zhang has that walk-off moment, that Mm -hmm. three-pointer shot, and he can walk off, it didn't 
make me go hell yeah or anything like that it just made me like uh well they're both assholes no (laughs) i agree with you nothing in this episode gave me that feeling right that's why it was so difficult there was no victorious moment and yeah if anything the past couple episodes we have grown to hate minister zhang white rose Mm -hmm. (laughs) whichever persona we're still only seeing him as minister zhang But in this scene, what shifted slightly for me, where in past episodes or even seasons, we were hating Philip Price. He was the scum of the earth, the one percenter who was just in it for himself and his own gain. And perhaps, we thought, White Rose was this person who had a bigger plan and really was going to fight for things to be better and had to go up against Price and even use Price in certain circumstances, pretend to be in leagues with him to get that accomplished. Now... When we see what we think is really the purpose going on behind the Dark Army, and it's so terrible, and we're mm-hmm. starting to really dislike Zhang, I almost felt for Price in this scene. I wanted him to come back at him. I wanted him to yell and say, none of this makes sense. You got what you wanted. Why kill all of these people? Why continue to do what you're doing? And I want him to now keep fighting. I want him to go up against, and maybe if he's the only other person with even a smidgen of power, he has an opportunity to do something that could hurt Zhang. Because who else can, really? Mm, yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't think he's got a lot, <laughs> but I think he's got a reason now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I just don't know what he's going to do. Maybe he can team up. No, they're not going to. I was going to say maybe he can team up with the remainder of F Society, but, well, I was just going to say. Angela is his. Yeah, uh, I was going to say they won't trust her, but Angela might be able to. You Put never them together know. and unite them. Revolution makes for strange bedfellows. <laughs> Price's acting in this was impeccable. Mm-hmm. Did you see him spit when he was yelling? Yeah. I was like, wow, he's really acting the shit out of this. <laughs> he just spit everywhere. He's shaking. He's visibly freaking out. Well, because it's true. You can see he's done all of this with the assurances that this is going to be mutually beneficial. And not only is he screwing him over, he's telling him he was also just a pawn this whole time, which we had kind of surmised, but I don't think we knew the depths of it. This is the only thing I felt was truly new information in this episode. So Zhang tells Price his government signed the accord, and his actions were never meant to harm E-Corp. Yeah, right. <laughs> E-Coin is already growing, and it's too big to fail. It will survive, but Price won't. And when Price demands to know why... The job was simple. Manipulate her. Control her. I couldn't. So I had to. You little... Piece of shit. Do not forget, I installed you as CEO only to protect my plant. You were meant to do what your predecessor couldn't. And look at what happened to him. And now you will follow every order that I give you, including hiring your own replacement. Fuck you. In the interim, Uh, I trust that there will be no interference with my plant being relocated to the Congo. (laughs) This is funny. That's 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 all this is. This is this is uh, this is a joke with a bad punchline. You will also be called upon to handle all logistical issues of proper access for my staff, shipment of all materials. Give me the real reason, motherfucker. Coming at me now. What in God's name do you hope to gain? 
opportunity to teach a lesson. A lesson, you sadistic fuck. You got your UN vote, you got your plan, you got everything you wanted. No, you don't get off that easy. Not until you explain it to me. You had to destroy so much. Why? Because, Philip, I had to ask you twice. Holy Chocolate shit. Dropped. Okay, so he installed him as CEO of E Corp. We did not know that. No, we didn't. His whole main job was to look after the plant, which we always knew was important, but not that that's primarily what Price was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And why in the hell has he gotten so comfortable and given Angela so much leeway if that was his primary mission in all of this? Yeah, we've discussed it before. There's got to be more to that storyline that we just don't know yet. It really makes it that much more fishy, and it makes me that much more curious about what in the hell is going on with this plant that Zhang had to have the Congo annexed to China so he could move it there. It's starting to feel less and less likely that mining for Bitcoins. I mean, I get that we're still talking about Ecoin, and it's still a whole huge thing, and we're maybe off of the sci-fi territory, but there's got to be something else there. Yeah. He even ends it by saying the most important thing, that he will replace Price, but in the meantime, there will be no interference with him moving the plant to the Congo. So also, we were talking about this great back and forth between the two actors. Esmail went back to this filming style that he had done in episodes past, where Price is in the far right-hand corner of the screen and Zhang is in the far left as they're switching back and forth. So I guess that's to create tension and the power balance. But from an art therapy perspective, what I think is interesting about this is the left side of the page in any art is supposed to represent the past and the right side, the future. So I don't know if Esmail knows that, but <laughs> that would be really cool because that would mean we're in for a power shift yet to come. That would be very interesting. In our final scene for the episode... Leon returns Trent and Mobley to the house, saying he has to go now that his part is done, and leaves them in the hand of White Rose's lieutenant, as we've been calling him, <laughs> I suppose, uh, while the news plays in the background that the people behind the attack have been ID'd as Frederick and Tanya. The lieutenant takes them to the garage, where he shows them workstations set up to look like Trent and Mobley have been plotting to hack air traffic control at major airports to crash planes. Everything in the room is planned to tell a story and pin the attacks on them. This is when the two of them come to realize there's pretty much nothing they can do. Their sole purpose now is to die and mm -hmm. complete this story that they've laid out. And it looks like the FBI is tracking them at the house simultaneously. We go back and forth between these scenes of them going through the room. But I think we kind of all knew. Yeah, we knew based on the way Asmail does these things, that it's actually happening later. And in fact, when they get in there, they find the body's already dead. The scene is set with an Iranian flag, an F-Society mask, and a camera. It's pure genius on White Rose's part. I mean, they gave them all the theories they need. They summed up everything. So F-Society is Iranian. They're terrorists. They're terrorists. <laughs> America has been cultivated to not like them already, so we don't have to look, teach them a new feeling. 
They're part of an anarchist group that people know to have done major damage of society. And then we have the masks. We have a camera. This is where these last fake videos have come out. And look, here's their plans for everything. It's so perfect. And hopefully Dom is going to be like, this is too easy. It looks like that's kind of what she's feeling as she watches this unfold because we're also cutting between the FBI watching this sting attack try to take place. And when it fails, Santiago tells Dom, you know, at least we prevented another attack. (laughs) But she has that look on her face. Like, this is still not adding up. None of this is adding up. I know you guys are up to some shit that I'm not in on, and I just can't do anything about it. And she goes stunned to her war room to cross out Trenton Mobley's names, and she puts a piece of paper at the top of the matrix that says White Rose. So she's been on to the Dark Army and suspicious of this character White Rose for some time now. Santiago has been trying to put her off that scent by telling her that's a conspiracy theory. Groups like this don't have one major leader, but that doesn't make sense because they were all in on buying into the Tyrell yeah. being at the center of everything when that worked for them. So she's a smart woman. She has to be putting those pieces together that it doesn't make sense. And eventually seeing that every time she gets put off, it's when she tries to come close to the Dark Army and White Rose because she does have those closing remarks. You're actually going to get away with this. Speaking, of course, about White Rose, because there's too much. There's too much that's gone into planning this, and it's above her. But we've been wondering for some time now, when is she going to go rogue and get fed up enough that she tries to pursue this on her own? And I really do think now is the time. Speaking of now is the time, Cyber Monday's coming. And Christina and I wanted to do something special for the holidays, for the week of Cyber Monday, not just that one day. We want to give all of our Clatchers the opportunity to get any of our CKC gear for 10% off. This is something that's typically offered exclusively to Patreon members, but for this holiday season approaching, we wanted to offer our thanks by giving you that opportunity if you're looking to start getting your Christmas gifts a little early, maybe get more on top of things than I am because I haven't gotten one gift so (laughs) far yet. A good thing to do would be to pick up some gear, pick up some merchandise on the Coffee Clatch Crew website. We're talking embroidered baseball caps. Yes. Clatch Nation tote bags. Clatch Nation t-shirts, men and women's, and v-neck t-shirts. Hashtag woke Westworld t-shirts. Coffee mugs. Hashtag woke hoodie for Westworld. colder weather, that might be appropriate. We got Sherlock gear and so much more that we're forgetting. The store is getting pretty big. All of that, 10% off. You can show your pride in your favorite TV show and your favorite podcast. 10% off. It's high quality. And when you get it, send us a picture of yourself in it, and you can be added to the Clatcher's Corner on the Coffee Clatch Crew website. So this is how you do it. You go to coffeeclatchcrew.com. You click on gear, put into your shopping cart everything you wish, and then in the promo code, you put Clatcher's Unite. That's K-L-A-T-C-H-E-R-S. U-N-I-T-E, Clatchers Unite. Remember that so you get your 10% off. And that's valid from tomorrow, Saturday, November 25th, through next Friday, December 1st. You will have the entire week to get that shopping done. Remember, it's coffeeclatchcrew.com. Click on gear, promo code Clatchers Unite. Well, and back to the episode, that sums up 3.6. Let's move into our robot rating. From a scale of 1 to 10, Jason, what do you give Frederick and Tanya? My bot rating for this episode is 8.0. 
That's still 80%. I did enjoy it, although it just felt a little wonky at moments for me. And to be honest, we've had a lot of episodes of Elliot losing. And I think I'm ready for Elliot to have a win, (laughs) even if it's a minor win. I want to feel good one of these episodes. We often say with Game of Thrones, we get hit in the gut oftentimes. But there's always those episodes where we feel like our heroes are winning. I agree. That's kind of what I meant by dark and depressing. And it's hard to know what to even want anymore when you start losing all hope. So for that reason, you're not going to believe it. But I gave it an eight robots as well. You're copying me. This is getting (laughs) ridiculous. Everyone stop listening. She's just a repeat artist. (laughs) And that takes us to our MBH, Most Valuable Hacker. We had our pull-up, courtesy of our Clatchers, writing in to tell us who they thought were the best options since we had not seen the episode yet. Those choices included Minister Zhang, Mr. Robot, Leon, and we had Trent up there. I don't know if that was supposed to be Trent and Mobley, but we're going to keep that open either way. Yeah, I really want to thank our Clatchers. See, we were driving to my parents' house while the show was on, so we didn't have time to watch it live. So we just asked our Clatchers, give us what your four choices would be, and we'll put it up on Twitter. So thanks to you guys, we were still able to get the poll up for our Clatchers. Coming in at fourth place is Mr. Robot with 9%. Third place is Trenton and Mobley with 15%. Second place is Leon with 27%. And first place is Minister Zhang slash White Rose. With our Clatchers saying, at Orange Shaw, Sunita Mani and Azar Khan gave an amazing performance. At Steen West, R.I.P. Trenton and Mobley, frowny face. At Mojam, if I could write in at B.D. Wong's White Roads for the rest of the season, I probably would. But to make it more interesting, I'll vote for at Joey Badass, Leon, since he doesn't get as much screen time. But R.I.P. Trenton, learn to drive, girl. Imagine if they escaped. (laughs) I love that. And at Jesse Plester, White Rose definitely took that one. Wow, so those feelings are pretty strong. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to disagree just because I was so upset. (laughs) White Rose, Minister Zhang, and I also gave it to Minister Zhang last episode. If Price was up there, I would put him up just because he was the one bit of fight that we were able to see here, and I did enjoy that. But going off of our poll, I'm going to give it to Trent for getting out that email that could change things in a big way. Oh, I like that. Going with our poll, I I guess I got to go with the obvious. Minister Zhang, he's winning right now. He has done the impossible. He's done things under our nose and under everyone else's nose, and he's really winning. But I really hope those tides change soon. But to be honest with you, and you're going to say I'm an idiot, I really want to give it to... Don't you dare say Leon. No, I want to give it to (laughs) Irving. Oh, okay. You love Irving. I love Bobby. Again, it was my favorite scene. (laughs) I... I don't know. Whenever he's on screen, I really enjoy his character. I think he's a breath of fresh air for this series. I just wish he had more screen time so I could actually legit give it to him. Well, thanks to everybody for writing in about that and also with your Clatcher's comments, which we're going to move to now. Metal Monkey wrote in to talk about White Rose. We have to look more into some theories that he provided us from Reddit user Stripper. I haven't gotten the chance to really dig deep, but he says her theories are starting to look like they might have some merit. She has even led me to think that if Esmail was to go sci-fi time travel on us, I might be okay with that, as long as the conceit is that White Rose can only use the tech once and can only affect some small detail in 1995 from 2015 somehow. 
But even then, I am still only leaving that as a possibility I could accept, not where I think the show is going. But I like that. That's an interesting premise if that's what this theory talks about. Not that it could be some crazy out there back and forth type time travel, but maybe there's a way to exert some little bit of influence over one event from the past. That could be a cool concept that I could get on board with. Yeah, that would be a great concept, except for I think what White Rose would want to change is probably something that we wouldn't care about. Like White Rose wouldn't use that one time to change Elliot's life. Not from what we're seeing lately, no. no. Unless it was White Rose who was the one that was giving money. Which we have hinted mom. as a possibility that that could be the anonymous benefactor until you came up with Price. Hmm. Interesting. And, you know, there was a lot of dangerous stuff going on at the plant there. So there's some good things to chew on in that. And I'm definitely going to check out the Reddit theories and get back to you more next time. Maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's something as simple as whatever happened to the plant that started this cycle of issues for White Rose and the plant. Maybe White Rose just wants to fix whatever that issue was, not for the families, but for himself or herself. Yeah, but that would be boring storytelling. (laughs) It's got to be good storytelling, too. Uh, Well, also, Metal Monkey says this episode to him confirms that whatever Angela believes, it's the Kool-Aid she has been fed. The only thing that makes him take pause is the fact that the actress is the same for young Angela in the flashback scene we see this season and the C64 quiz girl. So if you remember the scene with Angela and White Rose, that old school Commodore 64 computer and the little girl, mm-hmm. that's the same actress leading you to think that was young Angela present talking to present Angela. Oh, So shit. that still, like I say, there are some moments in there that aren't completely explained if we're removing sci-fi off the board totally. And that's definitely a big one. For sure. I mean, if I was brought into a room and I could see me as a younger person, I'd probably believe everything that person was saying. A hundred percent, yeah. And I'd be like, stop eating hamburgers so much. Oh, wow. So he says it could still be a lookalike brought in to confuse Angela somehow and make her more malleable, but I just think that's kind of going too far out to explain it away. Uh, But we'll see, I guess. And finally, he says he's with Darlene on this one. White Rose even admitted that she controlled Angela, not enlightened or showed her something, just controlled. R.I.P. Angela's sanity, I'm afraid. I don't think even Darlene has a chance of bringing her back from this one. She was almost catatonic with that rewind button there at the end. Poor thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree that definitely the, the big factor is she's being controlled. I'm still not willing to dismiss that means there's something going on, something that maybe Angela blew up bigger in her mind or kind of took to the next level. But I do think White Rose told her something. So I don't know that it has to be an all or nothing thing here, but I'm definitely also afraid for her sanity at this point. We did have a Clatcher ask us where the specific Mr. Robot page is that we often speak about when we talk about comments or recent episodes and voting. So just to clarify... When we have Clatcher's vote, that's on our Twitter, at CKC Podcast. We put up a poll, and as long as you have a Twitter account, you can just go there and you can just vote. And if you had a question or a comment, you can just email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com, or go to coffeeclatchcrew.com. There's a contact page right there. Yeah, if you're referencing the chat boards where you can actually talk to other members about specific shows or things we're discussing more in depth, unfortunately, that is exclusive to Patreon. 
So we also have a Patreon page. And if you decide to become a member, we have different tiers. The first through the third tier all have access to those exclusive chat boards. And you can talk about any number of topics, whatever the other members are getting into. And we will occasionally go on and respond and leave our feedback on those things as well. Yeah, our Patreon page, think of it as extra content and a way to help us out. We put in a lot of hours, a lot of work to get this free content out to you. And we really don't make money. We actually spend more money with the bandwidth and and the website than we make. So a way for us to try to just break even or eventually, we hope, make more money so we can put more time into this is if you subscribe to our Patreon page, you get extra content and you know that you're helping us out. So that first tier includes the exclusive chat boards and the always 10% off our Clatcher gear. We're having that sale this upcoming week, but the Patreon members always have access to that. The second tier is bonus episodes, one per month, where you get some more laid back takes from Jason and I, some bloopers, some interactive games, and different topics we discuss. Yeah, these bloopers are crazy. I get silly. We spend a couple hours sitting here in front of a mic. Sometimes I drink, and I get really goofy, and I think it's funny the way you can hear me just get silly, and Christina's so numb to it that she'll just go right into the rest of the script for the episode as if I wasn't saying anything. Yeah, just tune them right out. Well, and the third and final tier is the movie reviews. Once a month, we go see a movie that's popular in the theaters or sometimes a throwback, always by Patreon Clatcher Vote. We do a lot of research. Those are a little bit more in-depth. They're longer episodes. As an example, we just finished Murder on the Orient Express, so that will be released to our Patreon members soon. So thank you to Erica for writing in. That was a great question, and you can interact with us any one of those ways. Don't forget we have the Cyber Monday week sale for Clatcher gear. CoffeeClatchCrew.com. Click on gear. Clatchers Unite is your promo code, and we'll put it on all of our social networks as well. Get yourself some gear. Join the CKC Society as we take over the world and not make the world a better place. But we'll try our best. I'm going to stop him here before he gets too out of control. (laughs) No, this was really great. It was fun to review episode 3.6. The top questions we have coming out of Frederick and Tanya. What will Elliot and Mr. Robot do now? They worked together last episode, but are already at odds again. Will they come together against White Rose and the Dark Army? Is Dom finally going to go rogue to find White Rose? Will she collaborate with Dom? And how is Philip Price going to get his revenge? Can't wait to find that out. Till next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.